Dave Watts and this is the Redundancy Podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to share the challenges of finding and keeping a job as an older worker. This week's guest is Stuart Lewis, CEO of Restless, which describes itself as the UK's fastest growing digital community for the over 50s. Restless focuses on work opportunities, learning, making the most of your money and the opportunities for volunteering. Stuart, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Dave. A real pleasure to be with you. What was the genesis of Restless and what does it offer for older workers? Great question. So so the genesis of Restless came out of a melting pot of of inspiration, actually. So so for me, on a very personal level, one of the triggers was my father passing away. And I think that did two things. One, it made me realise very acutely of, I suppose, my own mortality and that I wasn't getting any any younger, and that if I wanted to make a leap and become a social entrepreneur, then, then now was a great time to do it. I think the second thing was reflecting on on his experiences, and, and he was in work for 35 years and, and retired for 36. And I remember having a couple of conversations with him about how he struggled moving into retirement, as, as so many people do, because you lose your social status, you lose your social connections, and it's it's a huge transition for people. I think the other point of inspiration that really hit me in those months after after he passed away was for the Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, which was Feel Good Channel 4 at its, at its best, but with quite a poignant message, actually, where they took 11 pensioners in their mid-80s in an old people's home, and they subjected them to the daily torment of four-year-old children, and they measured them all for depression, for physical mobility and mental condition at the start. And... and Quite tragically, nine of the 11 registered as depressed at the start. And yet at the end of the six-week period, none did. So they'd completely changed their outlook on life. And what was more is physical mobility and, and even mental cognition had gone up. And then I just became fascinated with this idea that the more research I did, that whether you're looking at social epidemics such as loneliness through to clinical conditions such as dementia, the prescription is so often the same as to stay active, stay socially connected, stay purposeful uh, and actually the idea for restless was born out of not getting people in their mid-80s back into the workforce necessarily although there are there are a growing number but more about helping people manage that transition into retirement and avoiding a cliff edge of five days a week down to, to nothing i love the name restless i think it so perfectly sums up experiences of those people i know who are transitioning into retirement and finding exactly that that loss of purpose or that loss of things to do in life i think you thought initially that your target audience would be those in their 60s approaching retirement this transition as you mentioned but i've read that it isn't and why do you think that was or is even absolutely and i think to some extent it shows naivety on on my own path when we first launched which we now understand so much more but, but the concept of retirement is just so fluid these days i'm not even sure retirement is an appropriate word anymore it's more one of transition. We have so many people come to us in their early 50s who are thinking, well, I've got kind of 15 to 20 years ahead of me in the workplace. What do I want to do? How do I make the most of these 20 years? And we have people who are looking to step up in their career, people who are looking to step down to part-time and have a bit more time. We've got people who are looking for completely lateral career transitions, maybe go into education, come out of education, become a counsellor, retrain into becoming an entrepreneur or go self-employed. There's just such a breadth of transitions out there. And I guess we're trying to help people reframe this part as a real opportunity and get people excited around 
the transitions that can be made at this time. So these are voluntary transitions rather than your role being made redundant, you think? In all honesty, it's a real mix. And especially in the world we face, we're facing with COVID, I think actually there's more and more people who are not being given the choice on it. I think where, where that's creating for some real financial hardship, actually. So we've been doing quite a bit of work to raise awareness of the challenges people are facing there. I think the number of over 50s on universal credit has more than doubled since the start of the year. There's over 620,000 over 50s claiming universal credit, which is just tragic when you think that after three decades in the workplace, people have less than £16,000 of savings in, in buffer to be eligible for universal credit. Um, so, it's, so there's definitely a surge in those that are doing it out of necessity, but there are also increasingly numbers of people who are doing it out of choice. And I think, as, as they often say, kind of necessity is often the mother of invention. And whether it's done through choice or necessity, it can, reframing it can provide a wonderful opportunity to think differently about the challenge. I should just explain, perhaps, that universal credit is a means-tested benefit payment for people in or out of work in the UK. So it's more than a midlife crisis in that case. It's about looking for something more meaningful in their lives. Exactly right. I actually really don't like the term midlife crisis because I, I think it it shows that it's coming from a, a bad place. I think actually, but, but this search for meaning and purpose is so powerful. And for some people, that's through work. For some, that's through voluntary work or giving back. For some, it's through travel. For some, it's through sport. Everyone's definition and everyone's meaning and purpose is so unique to them. But having something and this kind of quest for it we see as a theme amongst so many people i agree that sense of purpose i think is vital whatever that purpose is now in my podcast i speak to many people in their 50s and 60s across the world who say that they're experiencing ageism daily in their search for new roles so whether they become unemployed on an involuntary basis or they're looking for something else to do they struggle because they're coming across, if not overt ageism, then certainly covert ageism. And on your site, you talk about working with age-diverse employers. What are the characteristics that make an employer age-diverse, particularly as legislation in most countries says that you should not have any form of discrimination when you're employing workers? Although, having said that, it says you shouldn't go more than 30 miles an hour on the road outside my house, and daily I see people ignoring that. Absolutely. So the Equality Act was a watershed moment, actually, where they made age a protective characteristic. But in all honesty, as you just said, age discrimination is utterly rife. We often talk about it as the final frontier of diversity. And, and terms, even to the extent that terms that would be completely outrageous for someone to use when describing a man or a woman or someone of, of a different ethnicity are still widely used when it comes to ageism. And actually, we, we, we've seen documentary evidence of people being told, literally, you're too old, or you remind me of my mum, I don't want my mum working here. It is utterly outrageous, actually. What does make the characteristics of an age-diverse employer? I think having an inclusive culture is so important to this. And it goes beyond diversity. And actually, a lot of diversity and inclusion experts are, are actually focusing far more on the inclusivity part now than they are on the diversity part. It's all very well having lots of different people, but if they're not brought in and not involved in the culture and involved in the decision-making, then there's, there's little point in having the diversity. So we look, we look for companies that have a really inclusive culture. 
I think we look for companies that have a tried and tested record of having a proportionally representative number of older workers. I think Monzo is a great example of of the whole fintech scene actually in the UK and they very bravely and boldly and I have to respect them for this published all of their diversity statistics through ethnicity through gender and age as well which is something that not many people are brave enough to do and of course they recognized they had a massive issue with age diversity because everyone in there was of a young age but hats off to them for publishing it and for recognizing it we look for organizations that have kind of almost the opposite index or will have at least a representative uh, sample or if they don't, that they've got a really inclusive culture that they've recognised this is something we want to lean into and we really want to focus on. And how can an older worker identify them? Do they have to do the same sort of research as you or is there a way or a methodology? So I guess you could follow similar methodologies to us. I think one of the things we do is we try and curate roles for people from from age-diverse employers using our own methodology. So it might be a relatively easy way of filtering for that. But I would be typically looking for companies that regularly appear high on diversity awards and inclusion awards. Just I think that's that if they've got an inclusive culture, that typically is a good indicator and a good marker that people are inclusive for all protected characteristics. I think one of the things that we struggle with ourselves actually is that there's such a wide variation based off individual hiring managers and individuals while we will look for the overall markings of an organization you can never guarantee every hiring manager will be give everyone a fair chance if that makes sense so we're increasingly trying to work to educate employers and educate society i guess actually around why it's important that age is treated as a protected characteristics but also the benefits of it I think one of the things that corporates are never good at is responding to sticks and big sticks. So you must do this, but actually selling the benefits and championing the cause of an age diverse workforce is something we genuinely believe in and kind of passionately um, evangelize. So if you're looking and one example, so companies always talk about having diversity of thought. And I I can guarantee that the diversity of thought between a a 60 year old and a, a 20 year old will be more extreme than the diversity of thought between most other protected characteristics, actually, of a similar age. So there's a wonderful opportunity for companies to embrace that and really kind of build a fantastic team out of it. For older workers, though, with their resume or CV, there is no silver bullet. There's no positive discrimination. They have to have the skills, knowledge and experience to match the job anyway to get recruited. So... Does age diverse inevitably mean lower paid jobs for older workers? I think it's a really interesting point you pick up on there. To your point earlier around some of the kind of covert age discrimination or or overt age discrimination, one of the most common pieces of feedback uh, members come up against is being told they're overqualified, which is a blatant form of age discrimination, basically. And it comes from the place where hiring managers are concerned that the person will get bored, they will be difficult to manage, or they they will leave soon. And rather than addressing those underlying issues, they just lump it into, okay, they're overqualified, let's dismiss them. And I think this interplay with seniority and salary, as you, as you, you called out, I think is particularly fascinating because we're, we're brilliant at respecting age in the workplace and society when people have followed this linear career path through to FTSE 100 CEO or politician, for example. So most most FTSE 100 CEOs will be in their 50s or 60s. 
most senior politicians will be in their 50s, 60s, or even 70s. And uh, so, so we're great at respecting age in the workplace in those circumstances. The challenge is it's a very steep pyramid, and not everyone wants to go on to those type of roles, and not everyone is able to go on to those roles because there's so few of them. Where ageism and age discrimination really bites, I think, is in mid-tier management, actually. Because again, if you think about proportion of part-time workers, you think about some of the lower paid roles, there's probably less age discrimination there than there are in these mid-tier management roles. And I always find that so saddening and so frustrating when you think we'll let people in this demographic run the country, but we won't let them run a department. And it's so tragic and so non-understandable in, in its own right. I agree. And these prejudices are out there and they're rampant. They're going to be off work more often with illness, they're harder to train, they're not digitally skilled, they're reluctant to take direction from much younger supervisors, and so on and so on. There's no evidence to support any of it. And I think there's lots of particularly European studies that demonstrate that those organisations with age-diverse and diverse employees are more productive than those that are not. But you've got human beings in the ways and you've got the prejudices of the recruiters I just wonder whether it'll come back when they're in their 50s and 60s trying to get jobs and they get people saying, but you're overqualified for this. And I often think, well, that's my decision to make, whether I'm overqualified, for exactly the same reason you think I might want to take a lowest paid job, I don't want to do the commuting, but I'll take that decision about whether I'm capable and want to do it. I, I couldn't agree more. I and mean, We almost flip that on its head and say, well, you're getting more for your money kind of thing and look at the positive of it. But, but you're right, there, there's so many of these stereotypes. So one other one that's widely used is around technology. So do, they don't get technology, they're not digitally savvy. And again, that outdated stereotype just doesn't exist for today's 50-year-old. So I, the examples I always, always use are Bill Gates is 64, Tim Cook, who heads Apple, is 59, and Jeff Bezos is 56. These are the people that have built the technology that we use today and, and that we have kind of, we've grown up with it. So people who are 50 today are, are digitally native. And again, it's just the, the stereotypes from 20, 30 years ago just haven't updated and they absolutely need to. And I think that that's true in both the workplace, but also in wider society, actually. It is true, although it is difficult, I understand, for those people who went to school in the early 1960s who left perhaps at 15 or 16 who have got the technical skills but they don't have the certification to actually demonstrate they have those skills and so many roles now these days say well show me the certificate and they can't do it they say i can show you i can i can actually do it but where's your certificate and i understand how that can be a major stumbling block yes and i, I think there's I, I think one of the things that covid will force us all to do actually is re-examine the whole educational platform in the UK and across the globe, actually. If you think about the the rise of online learning and the necessity of online learning in a, in a world where there's there's a health crisis unfolding around us, it almost takes away some of the, the different elements of the education platform. So you've got your educational quality part, you've got kind of your, your wraparound learning experience, and you've got your certification element. Actually, in with the forced move from from physical lessons to online learning, like what does that mean for certification? What does that mean for the rise of institutions? I think it's actually a really interesting opportunity for us as a nation to think about how we rethink education and specifically adult education in there as well. It should be far more accessible. I agree, and particularly for those people who struggle sometimes, not just with the digital element of it, but actually getting reasonable broadband 
I went on holiday recently, and I think the holiday property. I went on holiday. How about that? And the the broadband speed was one point five mps. It would be impossible to do online learning. It was almost impossible to get emails. So I I do understand in some communities, again, that in itself is a particular challenge. I I think you're right, and I I think one of one of the points I'm always really fast to point out to people is just the diversity. Like I I actually, although we we're guilty of it ourselves, I hate the term over fifties because it's just it's so meaningless and it's it's what 40 percent of the population are over 50 you wouldn't talk about the under 50s and someone who's 50 is very different from somebody who's 60 who's very different from someone who's 70 is very different from someone who's 80 is very different from someone who's 90 and i think even even within similar age groups the aging process is so unique to people one of the great tragedies of our of our country actually is that there's an there's a nine-year gap in life expectancy between the least deprived and the most deprived uh, deciles of the country nine years of life expectancy which has a huge difference on pension planning on just overall thinking around uh, even things like where should the state pension age sit you add to that and the healthy life expectancy the gap is 18 years to someone who's 50 is we've all talked about it anecdotally but statistical data shows someone who's 50 can literally be as healthy as someone who's 68 on average based off based off your the, the region and the area you've grown up in, which I think is a, is, is, a, is a huge tragedy. Isn't it? If I asked you what overarching advice would you give an older worker whose role has been perhaps been made redundant and is struggling to find a job, what might you say? I, I think the first thing is to be kind to yourself and take time to, for yourself to come to terms with it. So being made redundant is a hugely emotional time and actually kind of, the first, the first thought can often be, right, start applying for jobs immediately. And actually, sometimes it helps to get your head into the right place to come to terms with it and to start thinking about what it is you want to do and what it is that you you might like to do. I think there's elements of making sure you, you're equipped to make a financial plan. So how can you cut costs? What benefits would you be eligible for? What savings can you draw down and, and rely on to, to tide you through? And, uh, and then it's when you, you kind of got this sense of, okay, so I've got my financial plan. I've kind of got a vague idea of the type of things I'm interested in. It's then starting to focus on your job search. And one of the things that we routinely come up against actually is, is CVs. So often if people can do the role or feel that they can do a role easily, they won't necessarily take the time to, to polish their CV because they know they can do the role. And frustrating as it might be, that's one of the, the earliest hurdles to fall down on in that the recruiter is that's the only piece of evidence they have to make a decision they don't they don't know that you can do the role so kind of making sure you invest time in getting that cv perfect up to scratch it's way more important to do that than it is to get the first five to ten applications off actually always including a cover letter helps you stand out from the crowd and focusing on quality not quantity of applications so again the temptation can be when you you receive 50, 100 knockbacks sometimes, right, to focus on just firing out as many as you can and playing the numbers game. Actually, it's, it's often not the right way to go because you almost reinforce that cycle of, well, we're going to get rejected because I haven't done, spent as much time on the application as I could have. So that will have a knock-on impact on self-esteem and, and so on. So we always advocate focusing on quality over quantity and using your network. So, so many jobs is kind of that hidden you so many jobs come through from network whether that's old colleagues old professionals or, or even friends and family i think people are often surprised at how opportunity can open up when they work through their network and 
colleagues to, to try and help them find, find work. Thank you. The Restless website is extensive. You provide details about many, many courses that are available, the ability to search for jobs with age-diverse employers, advice and guidance on finance, leisure and lifestyle, transition, and all that sort of thing. But where does Restless go next? What are you going to do now? Great question. So I think we'll continue to be led by our members' needs. Where we can be of help, I, I suppose. For us, there's a few things. So coming from that entry point of purpose, two things that were intrinsically linked to that were learning. So helping people facilitate the careers and invest in themselves. I think money and finance, financial well-being is so intrinsically linked to employment, actually, and also career changes. So if we can't help people find a job because there's just fewer people hiring right now, how do they navigate the benefit system? How do they consider decisions around pensions and mortgages? We've got a lot of that information up on site. It just everything seems to come together in this stage of life in a way that perhaps it doesn't in the younger years. We're investing heavily in the community, actually, because one of the things and again coming back to the challenges of loneliness and isolation one of the things we regularly hear and now more than ever with the pandemic is just people want and are looking for this sense of community and we're working hard to try and create that and create a supportive environment where people can swap stories with each other one of the most meaningful i think connections we've had is on one of our facebook groups when people almost have that realization tying it all the way back to your, your points around the redundancy is they kind of feel that, well, it must be a problem with me because I'm getting rejected from all these jobs and because I was made redundant. And actually, when they realize that actually the problem's ageism, problem systemic, it's not me. It's just this huge cloud's lifted from them because they realize they're not alone. So that working on that sense of community is something I'm particularly passionate about, actually. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for talking to me. It's been a real pleasure. I could talk for hours, but I think we probably better stop there. Stuart, it's been great. Thank you very much. A real pleasure, Dave, and best of luck with the podcast. You can find out much more about Restless on their website, restless.co.uk. Thank you again for listening the whole way through. If you've liked the podcast, why not tell a friend? The more that listen, the more I can try and help. I'll be back soon and my contact details follow next. You can make contact with me via my website, theredundancypodcast.com, which has a synopsis of this and all the podcast's main points by emailing me at theredundancypodcast at gmail.com or via Twitter with the hashtag at redundancypcast. <laughs>